Good morning, North Shore. Uh, glad you're here with us. I wanted to start today, like any good church service, talking about money. So I have here a $50 bill and a $1 bill. Now, before you get ahead of yourself, uh, these are not normally things I have. Being a millennial, I don't even usually have cash, and I'm definitely not loaded with 50s. Uh, I do work for a church. Uh, this was a, a birthday present recently mailed to me by my grandparents. So thank you, Papa and Grandma. But if I had these things here, 50 and a 1, and I asked you uh, to choose between the two, if you're sitting here with me six feet apart, looking at the 50 and the 1, and you have to, you have to choose uh, which one do you want to keep, and then I'll, I'll take the other one. What would you pick? Right? It's, it's, it's obvious uh, that you're going to give me the 50 because you love me so much. No, you're going to take the 50, and there's nothing wrong with that. You're just doing math. It's worth more. But what if those 50s and those 1s were attached to a person? And I don't know if you're like me, now I've got this crazy mental image of someone walking through the door and they've just got like 50s taped all over them. Um, and it's, it's this ridiculous image. And, and it's, a, it's a pretty far-fetched, it's a bizarre analogy, right? But what if it's not? Uh, our passage this morning is James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. So I want to start going to just read it in chunks. We're going to go piece by piece. And so here, here's the first few verses. This is James 2, and I'm reading out of the NIV this morning, and I believe your notes are as well. So if you have your Bible or your phone, you want to follow along. Uh, but here's how James begins as we're continuing in our series on faith. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Okay. Remember just seven short days ago how happy and encouraging everything was uh, with Mother's Day and the fantastic message that Scott and Debbie delivered? Um, this, this is not quite that. Uh, this is a real conversation. This is more like day three of a diet or uh, the morning after the first time you went back to the gym and it feels bad and you're not really sure why you're there other than your friend told you that it was good and it was worth it and it's so uncomfortable and you're just hoping that, that your friend was right and that it will be worth it in the end. I believe that it is. But James offers anyone who will listen a scenario. It's a hypothetical scenario, and it's a bit crazy like the 50 and the 1 that I showed at the beginning. Like we're ever actually going to take a rich person and say, here's a nice seat you can have there. And in the same gathering, if a poor person walks in, you say, go over there, or here's the floor. Right? That's, that's absurd. But give yourself an honest section uh, an honest moment of reflection, maybe it's not that far off. 
I, I think we learn this really early. We, we learn to do things like this in grade school. I've only got so much energy and love to give. If I treat these people well, it will go well for me. And, and, and it, I don't have enough to treat these other people well. And, and that grows and grows as we learn more about status and wealth and power and other things that we ascribe value. This is a heart issue. So do not miss how James begins this chapter in his letter. If you have faith in Jesus, do not show favoritism. Somehow favoritism is anti-Christian. It is against the way of Jesus. James is about to tell us why, but, but first see what it is. He gave us some hints as to what this looks like in these first four verses here. We see first preferential treatment towards somebody uh, comfortable, right? Here's a nice seat for the rich man. And then just one thought later, we see unfavorable treatment towards somebody uh, that maybe you're not as comfortable with right, a, a faraway seat or the floor for a poor man. Uh, and then James just calls it out in verse four. Did you catch that? He says, have you not discriminated among yourselves? There's discriminating going on in the showing of favoritism. And then at the end, if we do this, we become judges and not good judges, judges with evil thoughts. And all of this apparently on the basis of somebody's external appearance. James is trying clearly to say that is wrong. How do we know? Well, I would think what we, what we just read is pretty straightforward, um, but God actually addresses this in other places as well. God speaks to this a couple of different times. And there's a story in the Old Testament where God sums this up in such a powerful way. I'm flipping back now to 1 Samuel 16. It's in your notes, but here's a little bit of the context. God told a prophet named Samuel to go out and he was going to anoint the next future king of Israel. And so Samuel went to this man named Jesse that had a whole bunch of sons. And it says that they were tall and handsome. So somehow this man, Jesse, struck the lottery. He basically could field an entire army of quarterbacks. He's got all of these handsome, powerful, tall sons. And so Samuel's excited. He's going to pick one of these guys. And they all go before him. And here's what God says in verse 7. Finally, the last son has come before. And the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And it's ultimately what led uh, Samuel to choose David, the smallest and youngest of all the brothers. But man, that verse, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The way that we see people needs to be the way that God sees people. And he says that that's different than what we might be inclined to do. The way that we see people should be the way that God sees people. Uh, now, as we're going through this, I think it would be, I think it would be wrong 
and foolish and, and tone deaf to our world. If we were to read these words of God, talk about this uh, topic that we're talking through right now and not bring to light certain recent events of the news. And just in the last two weeks, something has resurfaced uh, or something has surfaced that has reignited the conversation that, that there's, there's an understanding that deep, deep in human hearts is a tendency to treat people differently because of their external appearance. I, I think you know what I'm talking about, but I think we should know his story and I think we should know his name. I'm talking about the video of the shooting of Ahmad Arbery. Now I realize that this is church and I just went somewhere that maybe normally you're not expecting to go uh, in church. But, bef but before we get too emotional, let's take the Bible seriously. This is not a sermon on racial tension. It is, however... And we've only read four verses, but it is going to be an entire chapter on how we should see and treat people the way that God sees and treats people. And this story uh, surrounding Ahmad Arbery was, was bad and confusing at first. And as the days have gone and more details have come out, it's gotten more bad and more confusing. And you have to wonder if, uh, Ahmad would have been treated differently if he had looked different. And you have to wonder if the, the response to the two attackers would have been different if they had looked differently. Now, obviously, this is, this is an extreme example. But what about as the details and the circumstances get less extreme? Right, I would I would wager that for many, 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 many of us, our response is not the same as what happened uh, in that video a couple weeks back. And, and, and you know, good, good for you, I suppose. But what about as things get a little bit less extreme? What about um, the things that have led to why this has only in the last two weeks been introduced to the justice system? Why was it dismissed for so long? What about less extremes? And, and James's own example, it has to do with simply, where are you allowing people to sit? So, so how about this? Let me ask us a question. Have you ever given preferential treatment to one person, but not another? Have you ever given one person the benefit of the doubt, but not given some other person the benefit of the doubt simply because of what they looked like? Whether that's as the Bible is presenting us with money, whether it's as our culture is presenting us their race, whether it's age, whether it's where they live. Have you ever been tempted to, to do those things? Have you ever been out in public and just by seeing, by a glance of, of somebody that makes you uncomfortable, if you ever walked a little bit faster or crossed the street or maybe avoided going down that aisle. I, I don't want to push this too far, but be honest with yourself. Have you ever made a value statement about somebody else because of what they looked like? I, I think this part of scripture is a intentionally uncomfortable example. 
And it is a difficult conversation. And I hope if we really open ourselves to God speaking to where we are and these types of things, I hope we honestly wrestle with that. Maybe you're feeling a little uncomfortable right now uh, because I've done that. Even just reading this over and over, I felt all of this come up in my own life and it's been hard. And so why, why, why talk about all this? Well, I think what James is saying is that this, this idea of favoritism is so against the nature of God. And it is good to know the nature of God as it informs our faith and it informs our life. So let me grab another verse here. Let's continue into verse five. Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? This is where James starts explaining why favoritism is so bad. So pay attention to that language there. Has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world? Again, the way that we see people can be so different than the way that God sees people. And in fact, we tend to choose the opposite. Uh, God chose the poor to give the only thing that really has any value. He gave them faith to inherit the kingdom. But as we continue, verse 6 and 7, James makes it clear. Look at, look at verse 6. You have insulted the poor. Are not the rich those who are exploiting you? And verse 7, are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him? to whom you belong. And so if we set ourselves up as judges, we actually could be in danger of doing the very opposite of what God does. Our value system is not God's value system. Our faith is meant to inform our actions. And this particular act of favoritism, what it does is it, is it completely uh, reverses representation of who God is and how he works in the world. Okay. Remember I said uh, this was like uh, the beginning of a diet or, or your first day at the gym, and I said, you know, it gets better. Uh, it's not going to get better yet. It will, but we got to go through one more thing here. Verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. So there's a phrase that might have stuck out as a little strange. It's not actually one that's very common in the Bible. As the beginning of verse 8, James says, if you keep the royal law, he's simply referring to uh, what Jesus answered when he was asked about the greatest commandment. It's, so it's just James's phrase for referring us to what Jesus said is of primary, of ultimate importance. And there were two things. Love the Lord your God is one. And then what's here, love your neighbor is the other. And now this, this is fascinating for us. James has spent considerable time and energy telling us that favoritism is bad, right? He calls it anti-Jesus. 
He says, if you do it, you're evil. He demonstrates that uh, we don't see the way that God sees. Now he just comes right out and he calls it sin. And it's a simple progression. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. But favoritism is when we are choosing who to love at the expense of somebody else that we won't love or won't love in the same way. It's us deciding not only who our neighbor is, but what love looks like. And it is completely against what Jesus has called us to do. Uh, When we say, I choose who to love at the expense of someone else, also that I choose, that's sin. We don't get to do it. You and I are bad judges. We don't do it well. It's not our job to pick. And then James does something really hard. He equates favoritism with the two wrong things that everybody agrees with. (laughs) Right? He, He talks about adultery and murder. He says, adultery, bad. Right? This is what we do too. Murder, the worst, bad. And James says, if you've done any of those three, you need Jesus. He doesn't make a distinction. He says, if you have broken one law, you are a law breaker. One sin makes us a sinner. Now, this reminded me as I was reading, uh, we, have a, we have a rich culture of Awana here. And I remember one of the first Awana verses that you learn, right? Romans 3.23. Uh, But what's crazy about Romans 3.23 is it's actually in the middle. There's a sentence and there's a verse before it and a verse after it. So I want to show us Romans 3.22 because I think this is exactly what James was talking about. So Paul writes in Romans, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no difference. Here's here's what's happening. In our separation from God, in our brokenness, in our uh, selfishness, in our forgetfulness, in our insensitivity, in all of those things, we are the same. In what it means to be human, there is no difference. All right, see you next week. Right, that's crazy. That's, that, that, that would be the worst if it ended there. But here's what's crazy. I've, I've heard something like that so many times. People have come up and say, well, they don't go to church. They don't believe in God. They're not Christians because they think where we just ended. They think that the Bible is about sin only and condemnation only and that the church is about bringing hardship and condemnation on people only. And if that's your experience, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, I'm sorry. And if that's your experience, then probably what happened is you either left too soon or the pastor stopped talking too soon because that is not the end of the story. It is an essential part of the story, but it's not the end. And we have to go where we just went to get to the best part of the story. The last couple verses here, James chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, 
because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This would be, let's be honest, this would be an incredibly depressing start to James 2 if not for those verses. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It's like the, the lone bright candle in the middle of darkness of this passage here. But mercy triumphs over judgment. It occurred to me as I was reading, especially this paragraph over and over and over, that both of those things are God's alone to give. Both mercy and judgment are God's to give. And the Bible is abundantly clear that God desires to choose mercy and gives so many examples of all the times where God does give mercy. And it is awesome. Because we've seen in the previous 11 verses how opposed God is to favoritism. So now let's take this thing that we just waded through. Now it works for our benefit because when it comes to us, God plays no favorites. God has not chosen a single person based on their external appearance. God has not chosen a single person based on the merit of their action. He has not chosen based on the inherent goodness in their heart. None of that exists. God's mercy is his own to give, and he's not picking favorites when it comes to us. So verse 12 then, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. James is saying, live like you understand the gospel that you've received. Live like you understand that faith in Jesus is what saves you, not what you've done, not what you are planning to do, not how good you've become, only in Jesus. And don't treat other people like they have to earn your goodness or God's goodness, right? We've received God's mercy when we didn't deserve it. James is saying, if that's truly what has changed your life and defined you, shouldn't we extend that to others as well? I, let's be honest, this, this, is a, this is a terribly hard part of the Bible. These are 13 very uncomfortable verses, um, but it's not meant to be a condemnation. The point is that favoritism is so very bad because God is so very merciful. It is completely against his character to show favoritism. And that, that reminded me of one final verse. Um, I've tried to have one verse in each of these sections here to show that God is consistent in his character and he speaks to who he is and there's testimony to who he is all throughout scripture. John 3, 16. You could even say it with me at home. We're gonna read past it, but, but such a beautiful verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, 
But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Who's this for? Did you hear it? Three times, whoever. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, whoever. In the effectiveness and availability of God's mercy, we are the same. In our need for a savior, in Jesus' powerful work on the cross done for us, in the grace that can be ours through faith in Jesus, there is no difference. We are the same. My question for us would be, where do you stand with him this morning? Uh, You might have noticed that we haven't celebrated communion yet. And that's what we're going to do right now. And and I, I believe truly that after the conversation that we've just had, it's the only thing we could do. As James has pointed us straight through some of the hardest elements of the gospel and brought us to the truth of the cross. So as we look to the communion elements, I want to keep talking about that word from John 3.16, whoever. Three times Jesus says, if you have faith in me, you receive eternal life. What I believe the word of God has done this morning is is revealed how strongly we try to rebel against that idea. We so desperately want to create our own value system. Whether it's the external appearance of others or whether it's the justification of ourselves through our actions, we try to find our own, but none of that exists in God's economy of grace. There, there is one currency, right? And it's not either of these. There's only one currency and it's faith in Jesus. If we have that, we have life. If we don't, we do not. That's the story. And so we take the bread and and the juice to represent Jesus' body and blood. To represent and signify and, and remind ourselves that Jesus died because all of us were equally under the power of sin. And also for the second half of the story that Jesus rose and conquered death and has made possible for us the gift of life that he has to give for everyone who believes, for whoever believes. There's no favorites with God. There's only faith in Jesus Christ. And the Bible is pretty clear, and that's how we've gotten to this point. Every one of us in front of our screen right now is a lawbreaker. There are simply those who have taken that knowledge and turned to Jesus and those who have taken that knowledge and ignored it. So I would like to to pray and put yourself in that story this moment. What have you done with the knowledge of what God has done for you? 
And we do this frequently because we need that reminder. So let's go to God. This morning, Father, we thank you for the story that only you could have come up with. And we thank you as we have waded through this particular section of your word for us that you show no favoritism. If it were by our works, by our goodness, not one of us would be here deserving right now. And so we thank you that you are not like that at all. God, this morning, we pray that every one of us would respond rightly to the grace of Jesus Christ. Whether that's for the first time to say yes to your invitation to be part of your family or whether it's the reminder that we need to think deeply about who you are and let it inform our lives. God, we ask for your help. Let us look off of ourselves and look to you. In your name we pray. So we have a few moments here uh, to continue to reflect on God's story. Um, Josh is going to play for a little while. We'll have some questions for reflection on screen. And then there are some opportunities. Um, we're going to end with one last song that actually comes directly out of our passage this morning. So if you want to learn and sing that as well. Um, and in the meantime, we're going to start opening up our online prayer rooms through Zoom. So you should see those links uh, wherever you're watching. Uh, you can get to the lobby and we'll connect you with a pastor. If you want to pray right now over anything that we've discussed, if you want to just receive prayer in general, um, we would love to do that with you. We do sincerely thank you for continuing to join us in this way um, and letting us be the people of God together. Thank you.